There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the difference between Lego and Legos, and a meaty middle about English spelling. In a recent segment about how to write an outline, we used Legos as an analogy, and I got a lot of comments from people who were outraged, outraged, that we had called them Legos instead of Lego. One common argument was that the company wants you to call the toys Lego, or to use Lego as an adjective and call them Lego bricks. All companies protect their trademarks this way, and I've talked about words as trademarks before, but I've never had people be so upset about calling two devices iPhones instead of iPhone mobile digital devices, or about using Google as a verb to say you're searching Google for something. So it seemed really weird to me that so many people were coming to the defense of Lego on trademark grounds. So I started to think something else must be happening, and indeed it was. I did polls on Twitter and Facebook and almost instantly discovered that Americans call the toys Legos, and almost everyone else in the world calls them Lego. As an American, I had never heard them called Lego. It still sounds weird to me, but pretty much everyone outside the U.S. feels the same way about the word Legos. It sounds horribly, horribly wrong. And what makes this even more interesting is that this difference isn't limited to a single brand of toy. American English and British English treat other words like this, too. Lynn Murphy has a wonderful blog called Separated by a Common Language, Observations on British and American English by an American Linguist in the UK. And she sent me her post on the topic. Some nouns that are count nouns in American English are mass nouns in British English. Count nouns are just things you can count, like pebbles and rocks. And mass nouns are things you don't count, like landscaping and gravel. You could say, Squiggly gave me three pebbles, or let's put five big rocks by that tree. But you wouldn't usually say, Squiggly likes three landscapings, or let's put five gravels around the tree. You just say something like, Squiggly likes the landscaping at those three houses, or let's put some gravel around the tree. Because we don't count mass nouns like landscaping and gravel, and therefore we don't make them plural. So the British, and Australians, New Zealanders, Canadians, and the Danish, think of Lego as a mass noun. 
and Americans think of Lego as a countdown. And this difference extends to other words, too. For example, according to Lynn, in the UK, people talk about eating mashed potato and scrambled egg instead of mashed potatoes and scrambled eggs like we do in the U.S., And you can make an argument for either since the foods are countable before they're prepared and much less countable when they're cooked in a glob on your plate. And people in the UK are much more likely than Americans to talk about sport instead of sports. For example, USA Today has a sports section, but the Times of London has a sport section. So thank you to the people who complained about the word Legos for sending me on this interesting path. I learned about a difference between American English and British English that I didn't know about before, and I'm sorry it sounded so grating to your ears. At least now you know why, too. And finally, thank you to Benjamin Wolf on Twitter who made me laugh by asking, It's Legos, right? L-E-G-G-U-E-A-U-X? <laughs> Very funny. And now on to spelling. Last week, we explored the history of standardizing and reforming the English writing system, and why continuing to reform spelling would be a problem. Today, we're going to go over some more aspects of spelling that suggest it would be a bad idea to try to enforce spelling changes from on high. As we saw last week, the main reason that spelling is not a one-to-one correspondence of sound to letter is because our writing system was created a long time ago, when English sounded different from how it sounds now. It's different now because all human languages everywhere are in a constant state of change, and there's nothing anyone can do about that. Over very long periods of time, those changes are what create new languages. The changes in different areas of language occur at different rates and in different amounts. Sound changes can happen fast and are often the most noticeable in that we use most of the sounds in our language almost every time we speak for a few minutes. Word changes, like the addition of new words, happen to individual words, so such changes aren't quite as noticeable. Language syntax, word order, changes the slowest. You can see cases of this from Shakespeare's time, when people said things like, I know not. Now we put the not before the verb know, and we'd add an auxiliary verb, do, as well. I do not know. Syntactic changes like that take time. So let's talk more about how the actual words we use change a little faster than the order in which we use them, or at least we can witness some vocabulary changes. In the past few decades or so, we've seen hundreds of words added to our language as things are invented and discovered, such as GPS, zoodles, and unfriend. I love zoodles. We can also notice shifts in meaning, which is when a word that used to mean one thing now means a new thing. For example, gay, which a few decades ago meant happy. Another type of meaning shift is when words that had a neutral connotation become more derogatory, like retarded, which is very offensive now, but quite recently meant delayed or slow, like the music term retard. Now, the thing about these language changes is that they do more than occur over time. They also exist at a single point in time across regions and social groups. The English in the United Kingdom sound very different from American English. Few words are pronounced the same. 
These differences in the way people from different regions sound are so reliable and systematic that actors can put on the accent of people from another speech community. Like sounds, words in a single language vary at a single point in time as well. Just like those slow changes over time, regional vocabulary differences are less noticeable than sound differences. Only a limited number of words are different. For example, a lift in Britain is an elevator in America, and a climbing frame in Britain is a jungle gym in America. And you might not hear any of these words in a five-minute conversation. Even across the U.S., we have multiple words for rubber band, called a gum band in Pittsburgh, milkshake, called a cabinet in Rhode Island, that blew my mind, and hundreds of more. Finally, the syntax of one language, as expected, does vary at a single point in time, but it varies the least. One example is that many British speakers say, you could do, instead of you could, and American speakers don't. For example, if I ask, should I go home? In the United States, someone might respond, sure, you could. But in Britain, someone might respond, sure, you could do. Now that you know the main reason that spelling doesn't perfectly match speech, let's imagine we ignored those facts about language changes over time and across space and still wished to update our spelling standards. In reality, that would be nearly impossible using our current alphabet. Let's take an example. The present tense verb read, R-E-A-D, seems to have an extra letter, and it's a homograph, also called a heteronym, with the past tense verb read, also spelled R-E-A-D. So let's say we take out the A. Now we have the color red, R-E-D. Let's try an I for the verb then. Well, now we have R-I-D, rid, which is already taken by a different word, too. If we add a second E, we get read, R-E-E-D, and that is already a different word in English, too. This means that our remaining options are to add new letters to the alphabet, or extra letters to the end of R-E-D, read. Even if we assigned the present tense verb, read, to be spelled R-E-D-E, What do we do with the past tense version except combine its form with R-E-D like the color? The main reason that this spelling ideal is more imaginary than realistic is that English has a pretty large vowel inventory. There are some gray areas, but at a minimum, there are about 11 vowel sounds and about three diphthongs in most American English dialects. However, as you know, we have only five letters to indicate vowels in writing— Six, if you can't Y. This means that we can't have a one-to-one correspondence from sound to letter. To do so, we'd have to add letters to an alphabet that's already well-known and deeply ingrained in millions of people who read and write in English all over the world. In addition to the 14 vowel sounds, English has about 26 consonant sounds. That makes around 40 distinct sounds for the 26 letters in our alphabet. Plus, technically, there are more sounds in English, but we produce them unconsciously, so we'd never spell them. That's a topic for a different day. More importantly, this inventory varies from one English dialect to another, and we'll come back to that. A third reason to keep spelling standardized is that writing human languages is an artificial process. Unlike spoken and signed languages, which are acquired by young children without instruction— 
Literacy skills are taught laboriously in a controlled setting and take years to master. The earliest writing systems date back only 5,000 years in all of human history of people talking to each other. If you met an adult who grew up where you did, but had tragically been denied access to literacy education, you wouldn't be able to know that by having a conversation with the person. You may have met preschool-aged children who can't read yet, but can correct you if you make a mistake in their native language. In that way, trying to change the way humans speak naturally is futile, but continuing to set standards for the way we write is understandable and pretty enforceable. One of the best reasons not to spell more like we speak is that to do so, we'd have to choose one pronunciation. Imagine if we couldn't read any books or signs written in England, Australia, Mississippi, or Canada because everyone tried to spell English words like a local pronunciation. There's an imperfect correspondence between spelling and pronunciation, and it's a good thing. Besides, how would we choose which pronunciation to follow? For example, many British English speakers and Southern American English speakers and African American English speakers don't pronounce the R sound unless it comes before a vowel. That means there's no R sound when those speakers say murder. The first R is followed by a consonant, and the second one comes at the end of the word. And I'll try to approximate it. Murder. That's terrible. I'll link to a YouTube video of someone pronouncing it the right way for the for those speakers. But there's a definite R sound when they say inherent because the R comes before a vowel. Removing all those R's in spelling would be very strange because those speakers know that they belong in writing no matter how they pronounce them. Plus, if a word starting with a vowel comes after an R at the end of the word, like murder express, that R pops right back in for those speakers. Ask a British friend to read Murder and Murder Express out loud to you, and you'll hear it. In addition, don't forget that much classic literature was written at a time when English was pronounced completely differently, as we learned in Part 1 last week. Leaving writing standardized allows us in future generations to preserve ideas, study history, and enjoy literature while spoken language continues to evolve. In writing, context alone isn't always enough to clearly let the reader know whether the writer intends weight, the measurement, or weight, the verb. There, there, or there? The sentence, the flour is on the table, could be flour with a U, the white stuff you use in baking, or flour with a W, the beautiful, colorful plants. And it would be a lot more confusing if we could only spell that series of sounds in one way. If we tried to make spelling match the way we speak, we'd run into more confusion. Even when context clears up the ambiguity, it's helpful for the reader to know which word is intended as soon as the word appears in the sentence. Although it can be tricky when we first learn to read and write that you don't pronounce the G in design, leaving it there is useful in order to see the relationship between its cousin word, designate. This is a pattern that can be found in many examples, such as bomb and bombard, receipt and recipient, and sign and signature. This is related to the homophone reason, too, because the spelling S-I-N-E, for example, for sign, is already taken for the mathematical term sign. Another area in which spelling reform is futile is loan words, and English has many. 
borrowing words like karaoke and renaissance from other languages, increases the number of words that are unlikely to have a one-to-one sound-to-symbol correspondence. Leaving them spelled as-is helps us when we see those words in signs and other writing in that languages when we travel and study. Some people argue that spelling should be modified to be more intuitive because reading can be difficult at first for children in school. One huge problem with this is that all of the adults have already learned to read with the current spelling, and that would mean we'd be teaching children to read a spelling system that only applies to things written recently, if anything. Moving forward in this scenario, imagine how it would feel for all adults to have to relearn our ingrained literacy skills late in life. More importantly, if we were to change our writing system, then we'd actually have to teach children twice— how to spell the new way, and then how to read the spelling of nearly every written document in existence, and that would not simplify the teaching process. In addition to that, some studies show that when we read in any language spelled with the Roman alphabet, we don't actually sound it out once we become fluent readers. We analyze the words in a chunk, much like traditional Chinese characters that have a single symbol per word, called a lexographic writing system. This means that we all read words that we know more by memory than by how they're spelled. So standardized spelling that doesn't correspond perfectly to pronunciation doesn't turn out to be a problem for the average reader, especially with practice. And as a reminder, even if it did correspond perfectly, half the people reading English pronounce these words completely differently. Learning English spelling while challenging is nowhere near impossible. In fact, if you think about it, the fact that standardized spelling has endured so powerfully indicates that our writing system is working pretty well. As a side note, when people discuss learning to read and write English, they often express the belief that Spanish is an easy language to read and spell, but that isn't fully true. Spanish does have a smaller vowel inventory than English, and that leads to less vowel confusion. However, syllable stress, which is an integral part of both English and Spanish, must often be marked by accents in Spanish, but not in English, which can be tricky to learn. Furthermore, Spanish does indeed have silent letters. All languages have loanwords, and Spanish is no exception. There is a silent C in the Spanish word for adolescent, just like English. Also, Z and S are pronounced the same way in many varieties of Spanish, which means those school children have to learn that zapato is spelled with a Z, and so on. The letter G and J can share a single pronunciation in Spanish, as can the letters B and V in many Spanish-speaking countries, though not all. And although spelling bees are generally rarer in Spanish-speaking countries, they do exist. In fact, just as English sounds completely different based on where you hear it, Spanish, like most languages, also varies enormously, yet maintains a standardized spelling system. For example, there are parts of the Caribbean where Spanish speakers replace the R sound, called a flap, with the L sound, only in very specific environments, like por favor for por favor, and drop the D in very specific environments. These variations are automatic, and there's no need to reflect them in writing. This leads to a question many of you may be wondering at this point. Is it okay to abbreviate and break the spelling rules when we chat and instant message? Absolutely. 
abbreviating texts and chats is completely normal and doesn't suggest that we should change or drop standardized spelling, nor does it mean that anyone who does so is uneducated. The arguments we're making today apply to documents, newspapers, textbooks, road signs, research, and the like. It's critical to learn standardized writing in schools, and then the beauty of human language is that it's creative and exploitable. The most educated professionals in the world send informal, abbreviated texts, and so the idea is that we can all be competent in multiple writing genres of the languages we speak. In fact, informal text abbreviations are actually very rule-governed in ways that we learn and use unconsciously. A related example is students who've been abbreviating lectures for centuries in similar shorthand. Also, people may spell out their individual pronunciations to other speakers of that same language variety in a way of expressing solidarity or to create humor, the way some kids use slang spellings like K-E-W-L for cool. As long as people go through school and learn both forms of communication, nothing is lost. In fact, studies show that this writing genre, which is often referred to as computer-mediated communication, or CMC, is classified as more like spoken than written language, in that those messages are produced almost in real time, like spoken conversation. There's nothing wrong with saving time and space and possibly avoiding a fight by using an emoji instead of texting out, read that last sentence sarcastically, not accusatorily. These forms of shorthand emerge and catch on spontaneously and aren't imposed on us in an artificial way like a spelling reform would be. One last point deserves consideration. Occasionally, people suggest that reforming spelling is a bad idea, but then take it a step further and suggest we abandon standardized spelling altogether. At this point, you can probably imagine that many of the same arguments against spelling reform apply to spelling abandonment. There are a handful of additional reasons not to abandon spelling conventions. One is that spelling allows computers to parse written language, critical for doing any sort of research in languages or linguistics or even in your own papers. Think about how helpful it is to use functions like Control-F to find each instance of a word in a document or on a web page when you're looking for something specific. Another good reason is speed. When words are spelled any which way, our reading time is slowed down. Beyond that, you could argue that spelling any which way would be more challenging for children learning to read. At least at this point, the word spellings, tough or not, are consistent across books. Our civilization has billions of printed words, spanning hundreds of years. Therefore, if you add spelling alternatives by definition, you're now doubling the task of the child in school learning to read, just as it would be if we reformed spelling. Some say that abandoning all spelling conventions would help when you want to send a creative spelling and your autocorrect overrides you. But as we saw, there is nothing illogical or uneducated about text abbreviations, so a better solution might be to turn off that autocorrect in the phone settings. Furthermore, it's worth pointing out that many who say they don't need any spelling conventions have substantial educational privilege. People who've mastered reading and writing can deftly produce correct and well-written English, so it's easy to say they don't need it. People who struggle with spelling deserve a chance to get more practice with it in one consistent form and to get better at it. 
In sum, as a society, we can work to learn and teach writing conventions, and we can be mindful of the fact that all languages vary across time and space, with no better or worse forms. Finally, we can allow abbreviated text speech to coexist peacefully with formal writing. That segment was written by Sayel Graves, who has two master's degrees in linguistics. You can read more about her at sayelgraves.com. That's S-Y-E-L-L-E-G-R-A-V-E-S dot com. Thanks to everyone who told me where they listen this week. Karenita is an English teacher who listens in Mexico. Casey listens while commuting from Rhode Island to Boston every week. Tiffany listens on the Washington, D.C. metro. Wataru has listened for years, both while living in the U.S. and Japan. And Aki also listens in Japan. And I was especially happy to learn the Japanese language hashtag for Learn English from Aki's tweet. Very cool. Also, I think Doug was taunting me with pictures of geese on Twitter. But there were swallows, too, so maybe they were just pretty bird pictures. Grammar Girl is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network. And I'm Mignon Fogarty. You can find all my articles and older podcasts and all the other Quick and Dirty Tips podcasts, like Everyday Einstein and The Savvy Psychologist, at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.